Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Gray Matter Podcast, a podcast all about helping you think deeply about God, the Bible, and life with Jesus. This is episode two of season two, where we are diving into some sermons I've preached at my church, Forest Hill Church, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, over the past year. And uh, these are sermons that um, really speak, I think, to different areas that Christians need to pay attention to living in a post-Christian world. Now, episode one, I shared a sermon where I talked about how the fear of the Lord is the foundational posture of our hearts, which then allows us to understand truth, see the world rightly, and then determine what our priorities are going to be, what we might call our ethics, the way we're going to live. I argued that we have a crisis of epistemology, which means how do we know what's true? And the answer to that is not just more information, But first and foremost, it's a heart posture that shifts to see not ourselves in the seat of judging what is right and wrong, but rather seeing God in that seat. Today, what I want to talk about is another issue that I think is is pretty close to being foundational for those of us who call ourselves Christians uh, living in this culture, and it's the topic of freedom. What does it mean to truly be free? We have a cultural impulse towards freedom, and everything in our culture right now is pushing very heavily towards this idea of individual autonomy. And what I argue in this message is that this view of freedom, what philosophers will call absolute negative freedom, it's freedom from restraints, really doesn't even exist. We'll see that there are restraints that even the most most gung-ho advocates of um, freedom from restraints, um, there are restraints they're, they're giving into themselves. And so what does it mean to truly be free, to really pursue freedom? We see something in our culture that is a true desire that God has put into our hearts, but it's been broken and twisted in this world. So what does the real thing look like? What does real freedom look like? That's what this message is all about. I hope it helps you avoid counterfeit freedoms that our culture is offering and instead walk in the true freedom that only Christ can offer. I hope you enjoy. So speaking of false teachers, Peter continues and he says this in verse 17. He says, these people, these people are springs without water, misdriven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, then the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, A dog returns to its own vomit, and a washed sow or pig returns to wallowing in the mud. 
This is God's word. You can have a seat. You know, you don't, you don't know how strange it's going to be to say the word vomit from stage at church until you actually read the passage and do it. That's not one you get to talk about too much, so um, that's fun. That's the, the beauty of reading and teaching straight from a, a book of the Bible like we're doing. It's called expository preaching. We don't do it all the time, but it's a great way to hit some words and th- ideas and things that you wouldn't necessarily choose to preach on. And this morning... I love this passage and where it brings us because after talking for two weeks and now three weeks about false teachers, we get to really what I see as the heart of the matter. And we're going to see some things that I think relate directly to us this morning. So this morning, what I want to help you do, I'm not going to make it a secret, I want to help you find true freedom in Jesus. That's my goal. I am trying to persuade you, (laughs) okay? That's, That's my goal this morning. And the way we're going to do it is we're gonna walk through this passage and I'm gonna show you um, the counterfeit freedom that's being uh, offered by these false teachers. And what we're gonna see is that counterfeit freedom begins with deception, it leads to bondage and it results in destruction. And then we're gonna turn to unpacking what true freedom looks like. And what we're gonna find is that true freedom begins with dependence, it leads to submission and results in love. But before we get to the true freedom, we need to look at the counterfeits. We need to look at what these false teachers are teaching, understand what it meant for Peter and these early churches, and then try to make the connection to what's happening in our world today. So the first thing I want you to see as we look at counterfeit freedom and we dive in a little bit more to this passage is, number one, counterfeit freedom begins with deception. Counterfeit freedom begins with deception. Let's pull up verse 17 one more time and look at how Peter talks about these people. He says, these people, the ones who are spouting off these false ideas in these churches, are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Now, we, we might not catch the meaning in both of these phrases. The, the first one might be a little bit easier. The, the Greek, in other ways, will say a waterless spring. Now, you can imagine for his audience in the Middle East, there's no cars, there's no AC. Their journeys from point A to point B were hot, They were long, they were arduous, and you would get thirsty. You would have whatever water you had with you. There were no QTs down the road on exit 99. You know, like there's no Starbucks where um, the teenage girls will get your Frappuccinos, right? There's, you 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 have what you got, and then you're thirsty. And you're thirsty for as long as it takes to get to a spring. Now imagine you're on a long journey. You can think about cartoons, right? I think about cartoons all the time. Someone's trudging through the desert, and they see this beautiful oasis ahead of them, right? And it's like, it's kind of blurry and they keep going, they get it, and it's just a mirage, there's nothing there. What Peter is telling us is that these people are like springs without water. You get at the, to the spring that's place that's supposed to provide refreshment and satisfaction, the thing you're thirsting for, but you get there and you find there's nothing there. There's no substance. It's deceptive. They promise something that they can't fulfill. But secondly, they're missed, driven by a storm. Now this is something that is really tied to their context because obviously there were no weather apps back then, right? We know this, this was a long time ago. And so there's no weather apps, there's no weather antennas, weather balloons. The way that they could see what kind of weather was coming is they had predictable patterns that, that, that would happen in their climate. One such pattern was that a mist would come through And almost every time a mist would come through, that meant hotter weather was coming on the back end of it. And that's one of the ways that they could tell what's happening um, with the weather in that culture and in that climate. 
What Peter is saying is that these people are like mists that are driven not by warm weather like you would expect, but mists driven by a storm. And I think he means a couple of things here. One, I think he means that a mist, the Greek word here kind of talks about like a cloud or a fog. And you know, if you've ever had to drive in the fog in the morning, it, it can be disorienting. You can't really see, it's, it's not clear. And I think what he's talking about in one sense is that there's confusion that's brought about by these false teachers, mist driven by a storm. But I think the fact that they're driven by a storm speaks to something else. It speaks to the fact that in their confused teaching, what's coming behind them is not kind of the normal weather pattern, but it's actually something that's destructive, something that's going to be hostile, something that's not gonna be helpful. These false teachers begin by offering something that sounds great, that kind of tickles your ears, that speaks into a deep heart level desire, but it's deceptive because they can't offer, they can't provide the thing that they're selling to you. I, I asked on Instagram, I like to do this from time to time, just say, hey, what are some ways that you see in culture or in our life where like something sounds really great, but then you get to it and it's actually not that great at all? And it was fun getting responses in, um, lots of them that I like not gonna share, but some of them were really good. And um, so one of them that was really good, and these are things that we can all probably connect to in some way. So the first one was movie sequels, right? Movie sequels. Movie sequels always come on the tail of some movie that was awesome. And then all the trailers and stuff, they just pick up right on the hills of the movie that was awesome. And then they don't show you the rest of the junk that that movie is because you get in the theater and you're like, this was horrible. This was nothing like the original one. There are notable exceptions. Okay, so the 915 did a great job shouting out some exceptions. What exceptions to bad movie sequels can you think of? You can just shout it out. Terminator 2, okay. Godfather, all right, y'all are way more serious about your movies than the first service. Toy Story, that's a great one. Toy Story gets better with each uh, iterance of it, right? I iteration, it, it gets to a point where you're just like crying the whole time. Not that I would know, but I've heard. What else? Oh yes, Empire Strikes Back, so Star Wars, right? It gets better. Um, there is one that is, uh, I think about every year around Christmas time, that is Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Okay, that could have been number one. That's a great movie, that's a great movie. But. The fact that we have exceptions proves the points. Movie sequels almost never live up to the hype. Almost never. Some other uh, answers that came through, that, uh, this one was, was pretty funny. They said things that um, oversell and underdeliver the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry Cowboys fans. I lived in Dallas for a little bit, so I love to poke fun at the Cowboys, but that is unfortunately True. So uh, other answers that came through, Chad, I'm sorry, but um, the Chick-fil-A grilled chicken, the grilled chicken at Chick-fil-A overpromises, underdelivers on, uh, according to my Instagram follow followers. Don't hold me accountable. It's Instagram, okay? It's true because it's Instagram. Um, and then lots of other answers. Some people mention their spouses in various ways, so you do with that what you want. <laughs> Might need to do some like Instagram counseling um, for that. We, we experience this in lots of different ways. Things seem too good to be true, and then they are. Um, 
this past Friday, we, uh, every, every Friday night, we kind of start a Sabbath rhythm, or we try to. We don't hit it perfectly. And I grew up thinking Sabbath was just, you don't do anything. And I was like, that sounds horrible. I, <laughs> I want to I enjoy my weekend. And what I've come to learn is that that's never how God meant it. God meant, yes, stop and rest, but actually delight. Enjoy the good gifts of God. It's supposed to be like a feast day, like a holiday every week. And as we've started to try to implement that in our family, on Friday nights, what we'll try to do is we'll try to do a meal that's really fun for our family and, and helps our girls to enjoy and delight. And so one of the things we did on Friday is we made homemade pizzas and we're like, this is great. And my wife, unfortunately, right now is um, dairy free. And so she had her own little thing that she's doing. You know, me and the girls had very dairy cheese and everything that we're doing. And, and, but because the girls were doing their pizzas, I ran out of the normal um, mozzarella that I was putting on my pizza. And I thought, well, I got a little bit. I'll sprinkle on mine. And then Jen's looks pretty good. Like, it's a package of mozzarella. I, you can't even tell it's dairy-free, really. It looks like the same thing. It says it tastes great, just like the real thing. Why not? So I douse it all over my pizza. And um, I'm anxiously waiting. This is gonna be so good. We did the homemade like uh, pizza dough and everything. Took the time to decorate it with all of our um, like individual uh, preferences on what we do for toppings. And it comes out. I take that first bite. And I'm still angry at how bad <laughs> it actually was. It was horrible. It tasted like someone sprayed a can of cheese Whiz on, I, it was bad. It was deceptive, and I'm upset. I'm bitter. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to be deceived. Many of us in worse ways than those examples. And these false teachers were coming in and were being deceptive, offering one thing but unable to deliver on the promise. That's where it starts. But number two, they're not just deceptive. Number two, counterfeit freedom leads to bondage. Counterfeit freedom leads to bondage. Let's zoom in on verse 19. These guys, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. We see what we're getting at here, right? We see what's behind the deception that they're creating. What's too good to be true is that they are offering, um, verse 18 says, boastful, empty words they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery. And the hook that they're, that they're using is this heart-level desire that we all have, which is to be free. We all have a heart-level desire to feel a sense of freedom, to be who we were meant to be. And these False teachers like good fishermen are throwing this out like bait and they're hooking people in with that desire to be free, but also with these, these physical desires that we have. Specifically, Peter is mentioning sexual pleasure and these passions that they're being tricked into walking into, into living into. Jason, um, our lead pastor, has taught on this the last two weeks. It'd be great to go back and watch it if you haven't seen those, but um, a couple of things that we see in how these false teachers were operating. One, they spoke with assertive confidence that made people who didn't know better think, man, these guys know what they're talking about. Wow, these, these guys must know what they're talking about. They sound, they're so smooth, they're so confident. That doesn't sound true to our day today, does it? They spoke in a way with boastful but empty words. The, the Greek word used for boastful is also used to describe the noises an animal would make sometimes. 
He's tapping back into this idea of false teachers being like irrational animals. They're acting just on instinct without constraint. But then we also see that they appeal to these sinful desires. They're working their way down into the heart level of the things that we feel, the things that we desire most, the things that we want to do and think that by doing will give us freedom. And the hook on the end is this idea that if you follow and do this, you will truly be free. You will truly be free. This idea of freedom is where we gotta camp out a little bit. What the false teachers were particularly talking about, specifically talking about in that context, if you remember, if you've been here the last couple weeks, is they were claiming that Jesus was never coming back and because Jesus was never coming back, there was never going to be a final judgment for your life, for your sins, for how you lived. And guess what, guys? If there's no final judgment, eat, drink, be merry, sleep around, do what you want, because it doesn't matter. Be free. You do you. And that was 2,000 years ago, the message that was being claimed. And, and I got to tell you, it's not too far off from the message that we're hearing now in our culture. There, there's nothing new under the sun. We haven't progressed. We're reiterating the same lie. In our culture today, we have a belief about freedom which philosophers call absolute negative freedom. That's a fancy way of saying we believe that freedom is the absence of any limitations or constraints. In other words, we believe that the way to experience freedom, to truly be ourselves, to feel free, is to rid ourselves of the shackles of external constraints people telling us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, laws or traditional patterns of behaving or believing. We got to rid ourselves of those things. And once you do that, and once you find what's inside of yourself and live into that, then you are truly free. Some phrases that you might hear to help you understand this is, as long as you don't hurt anyone, you're free to do whatever you want to do. As long as you don't hurt anyone. Um, Another way is the fewer limits or boundaries you have on your desires, choices, and actions, the freer you will be. Friends, this is an illusion. As we'll talk through, this is a deception. We see this clearly in the false teachers of Peter's time because Peter tells us these guys who are offering freedom are themselves slaves to corruption. In other words, this whole lifestyle that they are giving themselves into and thinking they're free. Man, we're sleeping around, we're free, we're doing what we want to do. Man, we're drinking, we are enjoying ourselves. We, this is just us living in liberated human freedom. This is the way it was meant to be. And what Peter's saying, you're not free. You're a slave to your passions. You, you can't even control the internal desires that you have, and that's not freedom. That's slavery. We see this in other places of scripture. This idea that whatever controls your life ultimately enslaves you. Jesus would say, speaking to disciples around him, he would say, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We know this passage, right? You've heard that phrase before, the truth will set you free. But then some of the Israelites are like, oh, we've never been enslaved. We are descendants of Abraham, which by the way, have you ever read the Old Testament? They were enslaved a lot of times, so I don't know what they're thinking. But they're like, how can we become free? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin 
is a slave of sin. If you're wondering, the Greek word translated slave is slave. (laughs) It means you are a slave and you have a master and that master is sin. Paul would say something similar in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Peter and Jesus and Paul knew something then that applies as much to us now. It's that you're not free whenever you just pursue the satisfaction of all your desires. You're actually enslaved to those things. There's a great church father named Augustine. Some people say Augustine. You maybe have heard of him. He was a guy who lived around 300 AD. And he was a guy who was the bishop of a town called Hippo. And he had a story where he was kind of raised in the church but left. And the reason why he left is because he got really into some of the pagan philosophies of the day. And specifically, he got into these philosophies which led him to fully embrace and explore his sexual passions. He went on a road tour around that area where he was just pursuing pleasure at all costs. And Augustine eventually came to a point where he heard again the truth about Jesus and he turned away from that lifestyle. And throughout his teaching, specifically, he has a book called His Confessions. He tells more about his story. And this is one of the things that he says. He says, the consequence of a distorted will is passion. These are these fleshly desires. By servitude or slavery to passion, habit is formed. And habit to which there is no resistance becomes necessity. By these links, as it were, connected like a chain, a harsh bondage held me under restraint. James K.A. Smith is a philosopher who um, focuses on Augustine. He comments on this and he says, the first link in the chain that bound Augustine was his free choice. Our freedom, if we pursue it and attach it to the wrong things, ironically, is the very thing that will lead us to being enslaved. The heart of a counterfeit freedom is that it doesn't actually lead to you feeling more and more like yourself, more and more free. It actually leads to you feeling more and more like your hands are tied. More and more like you want to change, but you don't feel like you can change. And I wonder how many of us this morning come in in that kind of a place. Maybe it's with anger with your spouse or kids or people at work, and maybe you're just thinking, I feel like I want to change. I know I have to change. I can't keep talking and feeling this way and erupting out with irritability, but every time I get in these moments, I just I give way to it, and I can't do anything, and then I feel horrible afterwards. Or maybe there's a slavery to pornography, and it's a similar pattern of you give way to it, and immediately after, you hate yourself. And you're covered with shame and you feel like, God, I know this is wrong and I don't want to live in this anymore, but I feel trapped. Maybe it's something more significant that we might talk about with alcohol or with drugs. And maybe you're like, oh, I'm not addicted. I'm not an addict. It's just a glass or two of wine a night. And it's just, if anything, it's a habit. I just enjoy doing it. Augustine says you're on the cusp without resistance of something controlling you. And friends, I'm bringing this up because we need to see through the lies 
that the free pursuit of whatever we're feeling inside is not actually freedom. It's not actually freedom, and we'll see as we continue in this passage, not only is it bondage, but number three, counterfeit freedom results in destruction. It results in destruction. Now, this is a difficult part of this passage to understand. We can't go fully into it, but I'll give you some perspective on it. Let's read it in verse 20. It says, For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, then the last state is worse for them than the first. Okay, so let's just stop for a second. He's saying that there were people who apparently had some level of knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they had gone from being in their former state where they did not know Jesus, and therefore, according to John 3, were, were to be judged for their sins. They were in a place of condemnation, a place of destruction. They had gone to a knowledge of Jesus, but then again had turned back to the previous way of life. And he says that now they're in a place that's worse than they were at the start. And he goes on, he says, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. And this is where he gives the very visceral proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a washed pig returns to wallowing in the mud. What do we do with this? This is a complex idea and it's a challenging idea because for most of us, we've grown up with this idea that once saved, always saved. Is Peter telling us here that you can lose your salvation? And there are a lot of commentators who, who have a lot of different perspectives on this, but it essentially all boils down to this one idea. And it's that if you take the illustration that Peter's giving about a dog and a pig, and if you take other places like in 1 Peter 1 or in 1 John 2, 19, we'll read that one in a second, it doesn't appear that Peter is saying that you can, if you have truly been changed by the gospel and the grace of Jesus, it doesn't appear that you're actually ever gonna walk away from that. It appears that what he's saying is these people had the appearance of being a part of the church. These people had the appearance of having the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. They had come through the doors, essentially is what he's saying. They were here among us. They were faithful attendees of first Asia Minor Church, whatever it was. They, they were uh, baptized maybe even. They had joined a bridge group. And what he's saying is they had the appearance of being in. But by their choices and by their life, they are demonstrating that they never actually had experienced that change at their heart level that truly constitutes a follower of Jesus that seals someone for salvation. The fact that you come to the end of yourself and say, Jesus, my sin separates me from you and the only way for me to, to enter into relationship with you is to recognize that you died for my sin and I'm gonna depend on you daily in your grace to get me through. That had not happened apparently for these people. 1 John 2, 19 says, speaking of false teachers in that context, they went out from us but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. True believers persevere to the end. One of the marks of being someone who's transformed by the grace of Jesus is that you persevere. It's that you persevere. If you think about this image of a dog returning to vomit, a washed pig, I mean, think about the dog. The dog threw up, but then he got cleaned up. The pig was a pig and it got cleaned up. But at the end of the day, the dog didn't stop being a dog, the pig didn't stop being a pig. Their nature was fundamentally the same. And so they went back to what they knew before. Friends, our nature 
has to fundamentally change if we want to embrace and experience freedom that's different from the counterfeit freedom of the world. We need, as Jason said last week, a heart transplant where our desires get changed from things that are these fleshly desires or passions, these disordered loves, as Augustine would call them, to where we have a new heart of flesh that loves Jesus. And the warning here, although we can have assurance based on what Jesus did for us in salvation, the warning still strikes us, doesn't it? It's that when you know the truth about who Jesus is and yet you choose to walk away from it, there is in some sense a greater level of judgment that comes because of that. Welcome to church this morning. (laughs) Friends, we have to recognize that sitting in the church building doesn't make you a Christian. Going through getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Having walked down an aisle doesn't make you a Christian. Being in a group doesn't make you a Christian. Those are great things. We encourage all those things. Sitting here this morning doesn't make you a Christian any more than going and sitting at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Sitting in your garage doesn't make you a car, right? Like being in the church doesn't mean that you've experienced this change. The change happens when you on a heart level before God says, God, I'm at the end of me and I need you. And that it's a daily walk. It's a struggle. It's not perfect, but it's dependency on his grace. Counterfeit freedom consists of deceit, bondage, and destruction. It's not real freedom. It's not real freedom. How many of you guys remember, those of you um, who are older who, who drive, some of you younger teenagers are like, I'm waiting for this day. But how many of you remember your first drive by yourself the day after you got your license? Anybody remember that? It's one of those memories. It's, it's one of the few rites of passages we have left in our country. And it's so intricately tied to this idea of freedom. Because the road in American culture, Route 66, you know, Rebels Without a Cause, it's, the road has often been this place where we go to find ourselves, to be free. The Dixie Chicks talk about um, wide open spaces, right? The place where we got to get away from it all and that's where we're going to be free. But the fascinating thing is even when we think about the road is you're not actually free. You're still following the path that someone else has set out for you. Someone else paved that road for you. Millions of others have driven that same path that you're driving. So you're not actually free. You're submitting yourself to something. You're submitting yourself to something. There's a great quote. We'll put this on the screen for you. James K. Smith, the guy I read earlier. He says, when you're swimming in a tiny above-ground pool at your cousin's house, maybe tomorrow, and you keep bumping up against the walls, you start wishing they weren't there. But when in your rambunctiousness you succeed in knocking them down, you realize the pool didn't get bigger. It just disappeared. You're left in the soggy ruins. Freedom to be myself starts to feel like losing myself, dissolving, my own identity slipping between my fingers. And that's why, friends, today we don't need freedom from constraints. We need to find the right constraints. We need to find true freedom. And that's what I want to talk through in these last few minutes. What is true freedom? First, if counterfeit freedom begins with deception, then true freedom begins with dependence. True freedom begins with dependence. Here's the truth. True freedom is not becoming more self-determined. 
It's not about becoming more self-autonomous, more free from external um, constraints. True freedom is in becoming more self-denying. Jesus would say, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. This is the paradox at the heart of freedom. This is why it's so difficult for us in our culture where we have expressive individualism, where we have absolute negative freedom, where we say freedom is when you are free to be yourself and no one can tell you otherwise. Because the paradox that we learn in scripture is that it's actually not that way at all. It's about coming to the end of yourself. It's not about self-actualization. It's about coming to the place where you realize, I don't trust myself with me. I mean, be honest. Those of you who have been in this cycle, hint, it's all of us, with whatever cycle it is for you, whatever habits, how is it working for you? Like, let's just be pragmatic for a minute. How, how is that pursuit after pleasure? How is it working? How is that binging with the beer and Netflix after work every day actually restoring your soul? How is that affair or pornography actually giving you freedom? It's not. At some point, we have to come to a place of recognizing we can't trust ourselves with ourselves and we need a constraint that's outside of ourselves that we can depend and rely on. And we find that in Jesus. And that brings us to our second point, that true freedom leads to submission. This is where the paradox gets even thicker. The true freedom is found not by throwing off restraints, but by choosing the right constraints. Tim Keller says this, freedom is not then the absence of restrictions, but rather consists of finding the right liberating restrictions. We must actively take tactical freedom loss. I, I love this. If, if you can catch this and catch a vision of what we're talking about. We must actively take tactical freedom losses in order to receive strategic freedom gains. What's, what's he talking about? He gives the example, imagine a 60-year-old man who loves to eat fatty foods. He lo just loves like ribs and cake and you know, whatever else. But he begins to realize that the more he freely indulges that desire, the more his life is eventually going to be limited in some ways, isn't it? Because as health declines, as he runs into the issues that come as a result and consequence of that free choice, he will be limited. And so that man, if he truly wants to be free, he will begin to limit a lesser freedom, the freedom to choose to eat fatty foods, whatever he wants, in order to experience a greater freedom, the freedom to have a healthy, longer life. Musicians understand this. Musicians will sacrifice time. They will sacrifice guitarists. I know this, learning guitar as a, a high schooler. You will sacrifice bloody fingers for the sake of practicing and learning because um, you will sacrifice time with friends maybe for the sake of getting to the other side. You sacrifice the lesser freedom for the greater freedom of being able to freely play your instrument without hardly even thinking about it. As a football player, I, I can tell you, football players, athletes, they choose to limit lesser freedoms for the sake of becoming better at their craft. We do this all the time. And the same is true in spiritual matters. We all make choices out of our freedom, but some of those choices will bring death and some of them will bring life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the only ones that will bring life are those when you follow in the way of Jesus. 
when you follow not just the teachings and you, you consent with your mind that, yeah, I believe that, but when you actually start to deal with the cognitive dissonance between your beliefs and your lives and you start to uproot some of these deceptive things that you've been buying into and you start to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow your way. I might not even like it right now, but I'm gonna submit myself to you. And on the other side of that, what you find is grace. What you find is a liberating power that gives you the freedom you are always looking after. This freedom is freedom not just from constraints, not just from sin, but it's freedom for. This is the third point. True freedom results in love. True freedom results in love. True freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want. As we've seen, that's an illusion. That's a mirage. It doesn't exist. True freedom is the freedom to serve and love others. True freedom is freedom from the chains of having to always give in to your passions. True freedom is freedom in the power that Jesus gives you by his spirit to actually choose the things that are gonna give you life. One, a loving relationship with him. The practices that go with a relationship with him, like spending time with him, like coming here like you've done this morning, worshiping with the church, getting into the word, prayer. But it's also freedom for living in a way that is self-sacrificial. Friends, you don't find yourself until you lose yourself. And you lose yourself by finding yourself in Jesus. When you find yourself in Jesus, you find your identity not slipping away, but you find it coming alive. And this morning, we need to move away from those things which are enslaving us into true freedom. So the paradox of freedom is that the more you seek to be freed from restraints, the more enslaved you become. But the more that you seek to submit yourself under God's good rule, it's the more free you truly are. It's a paradox that's built into the nature of this world and what it means to follow Jesus. And so I hope that today you would seek to be truly free not by freeing yourself from the shackles of tradition or following Jesus or orthodoxy, but instead by submitting yourself in dependence to the Savior who loves you. You know, this podcast is still pretty new, and so it requires your help to get the word out. And so I hope that you will share this with your friends. If it's been helpful, share it on Facebook or Instagram. It also helps a ton if you will subscribe and also leave a review. Um, if this content has helped you at all, these messages are, are helping you. If you think they're informative um, on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or wherever you listen, if you will leave a review, um, that will go a long ways in helping this get out to more and more people. So thank you guys so much for listening again today. And we'll be with you again soon with another episode of the Gray Matter Podcast.